Mark Drake is on a mission to train leaders around the world about the miracle and mystery of Christ living his life in and through all who will believe. Join us on this journey into the heart of the real new covenant and the transforming power of true grace. We've been talking the last several weeks about prayer and really the heart of everything that, uh, that Josh and myself others have been trying to say is is that it's, it's, it's very easy for things in the scripture to come out so very complicated, or at least seeming very complicated, when in fact, prayer in the Bible should be all about relationship. It's not about formula. And when it becomes about formula, then it's a dead thing. But this is about relationship. We've talked over the weeks the fact that when the Holy Spirit inspired the apostles to use uh, the, what we translate in English as the word prayer, they actually were writing two Greek words that come out as one word for us, prayer. Those two words, one means uh, worship. It's used in, uh, to explain worship. That it means, uh, actually we have it up here, attention toward, looking to, or focusing on. That's the first part of that Greek combination word of prayer. The second one means supplication or to make requests, to ask. So prayer in the mind of the apostles, of course they learned this from Jesus, was not just having a laundry list of things that we, we all need. And we all have needs. But it is and is supposed to be the way that we grow our intimate relationship with God as our Father. Not God as our Creator, though we're delighted that He's back, but He's more than that to us. He is the Creator of everyone, but He is only the Father of those who have been born again by faith into His kingdom. And this fatherhood issue in our prey is so very, very important. When the disciples said to Jesus, teach us how to pray, that was a rather bizarre question or a request on their behalf. Because Jews were taught from their earliest age how to pray for everything. There were specific written out prayers for everything. When you woke up, when you went to bed, when you ate, when you walked, all these things had prayers attached to them. But what caught the disciples' minds and hearts was the way Jesus talked about God as Father. When you look in the Old Testament, you do not find God's people referring to God as Father. They looked at God as creator, judge. In fact, they were so afraid that they would not even pronounce the word God. We pronounce it now as Yahweh, but they would only write those letters out. They wouldn't even say it out loud for fear that they might take God's name in vain, which is a really twisting religion there of what that all means. But this fatherhood issue, so Jesus said, okay, when you pray, this is what you say, our Father. And that very beginning is something that prayer needs to keep drawing us back into. It's this intimate, growing relationship with God as our Father. Several weeks ago, we were teaching on the book of Galatians, and Josh did an excellent job of talking about the place in Galatians where Paul said, God has sent his Spirit into your hearts, and the Spirit who's living inside of you is crying out something. Who remembers what the Spirit is crying out, Paul says in, in, in Galatians? Yeah, Father God, Abba Father, Daddy, my dad. This is this is an intimate thing. 
state of us. And then, of course, in Romans, Paul says that what needs to happen is we need to now open our mouth and we say, Abba, Father, because the Spirit of God is in us. So our prayer life becomes a combination of worshiping and interacting with our Father. And in that context, in asking for what we need, and, and God continually throughout Old Covenant and New Covenant, God continually invites us to ask for what we need, to make our request known. Just a couple of verses really fast. Philippians chapter 4, do not be anxious for anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, Paul sees those things a little differently, like we're talking, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And this is the message that comes about prayer throughout the scripture, is that God invites us to come and to ask for what we believe we need. And, of course, we've already looked at part of our weakness is we don't know the future, but God knows that about us. So we're instructed to ask for what we think is good. That's the only way we can ask. And then we enter into a relationship of trust, trusting the Father to meet the needs for us. Now, part of the attack of the enemy to, to, to uh, confuse us over this relationship aspect, where it's not just we come with a list and ask, but that we come in relationship, part of the dilemma is, and I was talking to a couple of our folks here who were in the first service and hung around a little bit afterwards, and we were just talking uh, about what has struck them the past couple of weeks, and they were saying how much they appreciated having the double-minded man passage in, in, in James 1 uh, taken in context and cleared up. Because in their mind, as has been in mine and many others in years past, that double-minded man seemed to always come out as, well, if you don't absolutely know for certain how God's going to meet your prayer, uh, if you waver at all, then you're double-minded. Well, that's not what that passage says at all. It has nothing to do with asking for specific things, but asking for wisdom. Nancy uh, Winifred sent me a, a very nice note during the week, and, and you're absolutely right, Nancy. Nancy was saying, you know, as you were teaching on that, what I kept thinking was that we're in the midst of trial. We're asking God for wisdom that we can trust the Holy Spirit to not just hold us and love us, but to teach us what to pray for. And that's exactly right. We don't know in our natural mind how we should pray, but... As we grow in our intimate relationship with the Father, the Holy Spirit will lead us more and more to ask for those things that we need. But we have to be able to look at the Scripture and not allow the enemy. How bizarre that the devil can actually use the written word of God to beat us up. But he does that the same way he did it to Jesus. You know, the only thing that the devil used against Jesus in the three temptations in the wilderness was he quoted parts of Bible verses. That's what the devil did. He quoted to Jesus. Of course, the problem was, apparently, he forgot he was talking to the author. That's when he pulled out of context, he just put it back in the context. And that's what we need, is to look at some of these things. Last week, we talked about what kills our confidence. And partly, a lot of that anyway, is that we see Bible verses out of context. Once we begin to see them in context, then it should inspire us and increase our desire to ask bigger, to ask for more, to ask more specifically. But to do that as we're walking in growing relationship with, with the 
father. We talked about Abraham. Romans chapter 4, if you'd give that to us, please. Listen to what Romans chapter 4 says about Abraham and faith. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. Now, by the way, I want to say, when, when, when Paul says they did not waver, when you go back and read the story, it's obvious that Paul was talking about the end of the story. Because if you've read the story, when God came to them and said, I'm going to give you a son, what did Sarah do? She laughed at God. But even that wasn't good enough when God turned around and said, why didn't you laugh at my promise? What did she then say? She lied to the omniscient, all-knowing God. And you know what God did? Thirteen years later, gave her a child. But during those years, he continued to lead them in their stumbling, in their taking abuse of their own servant girl, Hagar, Yet God continued to deal with them and bring them to a place where, in Hebrews 11, we are assured that the end of the story for them is they live in faith. Well, the good news for you and I is that our stories aren't over. I mean, we love these Bible stories because they're already done. And we're not in there fighting the battle along with them, you know. But we need to look at that and say, yeah, my story's being written too. And our stories will be stories of faith, and if the Lord tarries, other people will be able to point to and say, they trusted God, I can trust God too. It's important for us to understand that wrong expectations guarantee disappointment. Wrong expectations guarantee disappointment. If we read the scripture and we do not understand the plain and main context of the scripture that we're reading, we can very well set our hearts on hoping for something that God never promised or being, have it being used as a weapon against us, thinking that we are supposed to believe for something and never doubt, never waver. Of course, the reality is the Holy Spirit inspired the gospel writers to give us at least one illustration from the life of Jesus about belief and unbelief when the man came with a child and needed a miracle. And he clearly said to Jesus, Lord, I do believe, but help my unbelief. See, there are those that teach, well, that's a bad confession. If you, if you say that you're struggling to believe, that you're battling with unbelief, then you'll just give yourself more unbelief. Well, apparently Jesus didn't feel that way at all. Because his response to the man who said, I do have some confidence in this, but... Then again, I'm really struggling with believing you may do it for others, but would you do it for me and mine? And Jesus' response was, he gave him a miracle. He didn't give him a rebuke. He gave him a miracle. Why? Because what God is trying to draw all of us into is relationship, where we learn to trust him. And we don't trust him by pretending things aren't real. When Abraham and Sarah heard the promise from God, I'm going to give you a child, that son did not come for several years. But during those years, they didn't walk around 
say, don't we have a beautiful baby? Now, obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm making this as funny as I can because I'm not going to want to mock something, but that I want us to understand that if you've been beaten up in the past because you thought you were supposed to pretend that everything's already been done according to the promises of God in your life, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we ask, and we keep asking. We don't pretend, but we keep asking, and we keep trusting and letting God work in our lives. But for us to keep asking and ask appropriately, it is a lifelong journey for us to see the Scripture, the written Word of God, in context so that our asking of Him will also be in accordance to the Scripture. And there's one area that seems to be uh, very much confidence-killing in a lot of people's lives, and that is in the use of the phrase, the Word of Faith. Now listen, there is no doubt that God's people always need more teaching about faith. We all need, as Jesus told his men, they said, Lord, increase our faith. And Jesus gave them examples of what they could do in obedience to increase their faith. Peter, uh, Peter writes and says, keep growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. So we're all on a journey of growing. But one of the things that trips us up is this issue of this phrase, the word of faith. Now, the dilemma comes with how we define that. The phrase, word of faith, is a new covenant phrase. It is taken from the book of Romans. We're going to read it, take a look, and see about context. But the way it is taught in many situations is the word of faith goes like this. Faith is a force. Words are the containers for that force. And when you make the right positive word of faith confession, you create what you need. Now, of course, last week we looked at Romans where it says there is someone who calls those things which do not exist as though they do, and suddenly they do exist. But that's not Abraham, and that's not us. Romans says that's who? God. God does that. He does that. We ask, he speaks into existence what we need. Then we come to this word of faith. So is, what, is the word of faith, according to the Scripture, my somehow speaking things into existence. Well, let's take a look at where it's talked about and see what it says. Romans 10, 4. Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses describes, now notice right away, Paul is going back to a shadow in the Old Testament. Now, it was real for them in the Old Testament, but for us in the New Covenant, it's a shadow of something that is of substance in Christ. So we know immediately Paul is taking us back to the Old Testament, and he's going to be quoting the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. Moses describes in this way the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. In other words, if you're going to try to be righteous according to the law, then you have to keep all of it. You have to do it all. But, he says, the righteousness that is by faith says. Now he begins to literally quote Moses from the book of Deuteronomy. And this is what he quotes Moses as saying. Quote, do not say in your heart, who will ascend up into heaven, that is to bring Christ down. Or, quote, who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. 
notice the next line. But what does it say? Now, when he says, what does it say, what is he referring to as it? The Old Testament where Moses said this. What does it say? He's talking about when Moses said this, a couple thousand years ago, when Moses said this, this is what he said. The word is near you, it is in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith we are proclaiming. Now the question is, what is the word of faith? Keep on reading. That, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with the heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with the mouth that you confess and are saved. Now, do you notice that Paul's use of the phrase, the word of faith, deals with something very specific and, oh, so eternally important. What is it? Salvation. Jesus saves, and he becomes Lord when you confess the word of faith. The word of faith is, I believe the Father raised the Son from the dead as proof that he paid for all my sins. And I now declare with the word of faith, I am under new ownership. I have surrendered the ownership of my life up to the Lord Jesus, and from now on, I'm under his lordship. There is nothing in this context about the new car I want. Now, there are plenty of other verses that talk about God will supply all your needs according not to you, but to your riches in glory by Christ Jesus. There are lots of verses. Jesus said, look at the flowers of the field. God provides, he'll provide for you. Look at the birds that God provides you because you're more valuable. He will bring lots of verses, but not this one. Not this one. Oh, my goodness, folks. We are tampering with the actual heart of eternal life here. So let's use other verses to talk about how God answers prayer. And, oh, he does. But just understand what is the prayer here to be born again, to become a child of God. That is the word of faith. You're not creating something. You are surrendering something by your word of faith. You are believing something represented by your word of faith, but it's a very specific something. God raises from the dead. Once for all, our sins would be paid for. Now I'm declaring with my mouth, I'm not declaring a new car in my driveway, Somebody has to pay for it. I'm declaring you're going to get me a new car and put it back right in my mind. But, <laughs> but I'm declaring I'm under new ownership. Now, once I come under new ownership, now I come into a relationship with the Father where I begin to trust Him daily for my needs to be met. And that becomes a journey. A journey of, Lord, I believe, but help out my unbelief, and then God does something, and now I'm building a faith history, and I read through the scripture, and I see there that there's a faith history that's been built for me, and the more I get a faith history built in my own life, based on what happened to them, and now what's happening to me, and those people around me, then it's able for me, I'm able now to ask with a little more confidence, and be delighted when I see God. And by the way, I think we need to be a lot quicker 
to pray for other people and tell them we're asking God to do something for them. Listen, how cool is it if you're talking to the person checking you out at Walmart and they're telling you about how rough things have been in their life and you say, you know what, when I walk out of here and get to my car, I'm going to ask the Lord Jesus to pour his goodness out in your situation. He loves you. He wants to do something for you. And what's going to happen if now something good turns around in their life? God's love will be demonstrated because we're willing to say, not that we can somehow declare into existence their need, because it's not us. Oh, but we will ask our Father, and He loves them, and He will reveal Himself in His goodness. Quickly, let's go back here to where Paul quotes this so we can make sure we're on solid ground. Deuteronomy chapter 30, beginning in verse 6. This is after they've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Moses is already very clear on their constant rebellion. And Moses is also speaking as a prophet. We're told in the New Testament that Moses was indeed one of the great prophets. And in many of the writings in the first five books, the Pentateuch, which means five, like the first five books of the Bible that Moses wrote, many places in there he prophesied about things in the future. And in fact, he has prophesied, according to Paul, he is prophesying right here about the new covenant when God no longer deals with people on the outside, but he does something miraculous in their hearts. And he says this, the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants. Now, we know right away that, that Moses is talking about something in the far future because under the old law, circumcision was not of the heart. It was, well, it was of another part of the anatomy. But circumcision was literal there. But in the new covenant, the Bible tells us that Christ comes by the Spirit and cuts away the fleshliness, the carnality that's in our lives by circumcising our hearts. Well, Moses is prophesying something that's going to be way beyond this group of people right here. And Paul is going to refer to it. So that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. The Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies who hate and persecute you. You will again obey the Lord. And see, uh, Moses has been prophesying earlier that they were going to fall away again after he left or went away and died went on to be with God. And, and they went into the land. They were going to fall away again. Then the Lord your God, verse 9, then the Lord your God will make you uh, the most prosperous in all of the work of your hands and the fruit of your womb and the young of your livestock and the crops of the land. The Lord will again delight in you and make you prosperous, just as he delighted in your fathers. If you obey the Lord your God and keep his commands and decrees that are written in this book of the law and turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Now listen to this now. See if this sounds familiar. Now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven and get it and proclaim it to us so we may have What is that right there? No, no, what, what is that right there? What, what, is, what is Moses doing right there? Is he not saying exactly what Paul says in Romans a couple of thousand years later? This is the part, the, the, the part that, 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 that Paul was quoting as the word of faith. It is not up in heaven, so that you have to ask who will ascend up into heaven and get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea, so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so we may 
So listen to this story. Now, this is amazing. Let, let the Holy Spirit speak to each of us in our own hearts because there's a message here for me because Linda and I are asking God for big stuff all the time. You are too. Listen to this. The disciples of John the Baptist told John about everything Jesus was doing. So John called for two of his disciples while he was in prison. Now, he sent them to the Lord to ask him, are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? You see, John's beginning to doubt. You see that? John's disciples found Jesus and, and asked him that. Are you the one, or should we be looking for someone else? 21. At that very time, right at the moment they asked him, then he, Jesus, cured many people of various diseases, and he cast out evil spirits and restored sight to the blind. And John's two disciples are standing there watching him do these miraculous things. Then he, Jesus, told John's disciples, go back to John and tell him what you have seen and heard. Now, what did they see and hear? The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to many, uh, are being preached to the poor. Now, those were all the things that John knew the Old Testament prophesied the Lamb of God would do, the Messiah would do. So John's disciples see Jesus doing all the things that confirm, yes, John, you are right. You got the right one. But just before Jesus sends them back to John, he says this strange statement, and tell him. God blesses those who are not offended by me. What in the world does that mean? Well, you're John. You've been locked up for a while now and told you're going to be beheaded. And sitting there all alone in the dungeon, you begin to doubt. Your disciples come back to you and they say, oh, John, we've got great news, man. Great news. Jesus is indeed the Messiah. You were right. We've got great news. You were right. He is doing all. These people, are they're all getting miracles. This is great. Oh, by the way, uh, the last thing he said, I'm not sure about this, but uh, I don't know. But anyway, the last thing he said, John, was uh, to tell you that, uh, look, don't be offended. What? Well, there's only one answer. The guys came to John telling him, all these people out there, they're all getting miracles. But John wasn't going to get his. He had his head cut off a few days later. His disciples would have remembered. We've been praying for John to be set free. The only good thing you can imagine in that story. And God, being God, chooses something else. Don't be offended. Remember when Jesus said in the garden, pray with me for an hour to fall asleep. Praise comes back, wakes him up, you know, that whole process. In the middle of all that, he says this. He says, guys, you need to listen to me now. You need to be doing two things, and you're not doing it. These are the two things you need to be doing. You need to be watching and praying so you do not fall 
into temptation. Now, what in the world would that mean? Watch and pray. Well, first of all, we know that what he taught them to pray as a general rule or a general idea is, let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But of course, just an hour or so later after Jesus told them, guys, you pray, watch, watch, and pray so you don't fall into temptation. What's the temptation that they could have fallen into? Well, when the, the, the soldiers show up and take their master by force, that sure doesn't look like the answer to the prayer, let your kingdom come and your will be done. But if they will keep watching, oh, if they will just keep watching, they are going to see the kingdom come in less than two months from now on the day of Pentecost, and over 3,000 will be birthed into the kingdom, and the kingdom will begin to come into the hearts and lives of men and women. And over the next few years of their life, they're going to see it stretched throughout all of the known Roman Empire. But, oh, man, they had to keep watching because what happened right after they prayed did not look like it could be good at all. Blessed are they who are not offended when their Heavenly Father answers their prayer differently than what they hoped. Would you stand with me, please? Pray. 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 Pray and don't faint. Pray without ceasing. Let worship and request be going up all the time. Every time you bump into a friend, at the store, and you can think about something in their life, pray, ask God's goodness to intervene, and ask God to work in a way so they'll know that it wasn't just coincidence, but it was Him out of His great love. Just don't make this complicated. Don't, don't feel like you've got to somehow dictate when, where, and how. The Father knows exactly what He's doing in that but we are growing our relationship of trust by asking. And that's what he keeps inviting us to do. If you have not turned over the ownership of your life to Jesus, this would be a great moment to do that very thing. And it would be a decision that will change your eternity. I would encourage you in a moment to just come up and talk to one of our friends here in the prayer team. They would be delighted to talk with you, pray with you, and you too can come to know Him as both Savior and Lord over your life. The other thing I'd like to say is this. If you're sick this morning, you're physically sick, come up to one of the prayer team members. Ask them to agree with you that God would intervene and heal you. It's a promise in the Scripture. It is. And we need to be asking. We probably need to be asking more than we have been. I mean, the worst that could happen is you could go home the way you came. But what if something else happened? Because he is good, and his mercy does endure forever. Join us on this new covenant journey at markdrake.org.